Hi everyone, I'm Liam and this is Words With Woman. Welcome to another episode of Words With Woman. Our guest for this episode is Geneviève Bonin, a partner in the Toronto office of McKinsey. Geneviève leads the social, healthcare, public, and education practice by specializing in economic development, strategy, and innovation. In her early career, Geneviève studied and served as a member of the Royal Canadian Navy in Canada and overseas. In addition, she has been recognized for her philanthropy by the Topper School of Management and the Veterans Affairs Ministerial Medal for her distinctive contribution to society. Geneviève joined us to talk about women in leadership, her experience in the military, and how COVID-19 has impacted businesses. Join us for words of advice, words of wisdom on your bi-weekly podcast, Words with Women. Welcome to Words with Women. For today's episode, we have Geneviève Bonin, um, a partner at the Toronto office. Uh, welcome, Geneviève, and thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. And we're also joined by Anisha, who is a member at our Women in Management Networks. Welcome, Anisha. Hi, guys. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. <laughs> Thank you. So welcome, ladies. And uh, to start off the conversation, given your military background, how did you end up in the field of consulting? And um, did you always want to take this career path? Um, well, when I retired from the Royal Canadian Navy, uh, I wasn't clear on how I could apply my skills as a naval engineering uh, officer in the marketplace. Uh, so I thought, you know, why not broaden my education? Uh, I applied to the Telford School of Management to then pursue an MBA. And it was during my first semester at the school on campus that I was recruited by a leading consulting firm. And I had no idea about what I was getting into, but it sounded exciting. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I was told that consulting is in essence all about problem solving. And so being an engineer of background, I thought well, perfect for me. Um, and, and, you know, did, did I always know that I wanted this career path? You know, not really, but think how I really ended up making that choice is when I left the military, um, my career officer was quite disappointed. And uh, he, especially since I was one of the very few women in a combat role at the time, yeah, he understood why I decided to leave. And you know, some of it, I loved my time in the Navy, but I was looking for a slightly different lifestyle. And uh, so he made me promise to apply what I learned in the military to do something to really create impact in society. And that's what drove my decision to move to Ottawa, study there, because I thought, well, this is yeah. the national capital. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then uh, it, 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 and it's how, you know, it also contributed to my decision to um, pursue consulting as a profession and uh, mainly focusing on working with public sector organization for the majority of my career. That's a unique experience. And um, I guess to add on that, um, what are the important skills that you learned from your military background? And how did it translate into the workplace and your everyday life? Well, first and foremost, um, you know, a lot of people think that the military is very hierarchical and it needs to be to operate effectively. Really, it is also very flat in the sense that officers are trained to be servant leaders. So if you think about it, nobody in their right mind would put their own lives 
you know, in harm's way, unless they're inspired by the leader in front of them and, and empowered to, you know, to do so. So I've always relied on the leadership training that I received in the Kenyan Armed Forces as sort of the basis of how I would conduct myself uh, as a leader in my profession. The second thing is you know, teamwork and collaboration are crucial in a military setting. So I learned from my time in the military that I should never go at it alone. Uh, always focus on building others, building high-performing teams to be successful. And I, I can say like I've that that's been tremendous, something that I've taken um, forward in my consulting career as well. And then finally, I mean, I think, you know, maybe they're not skills, but the values of the Royal Military College are truth, duty, and value. And uh, I've always you know, sort of remembered mm-hmm. that and try to live by those uh, values and well, however like, I conducted myself as a leader. Wow, that's definitely an interesting perspective. So contributing to that, what is the biggest piece of advice that you would give to young women entering the business world currently? Well, I would are lucky because we've made a lot of progress. Yeah, and it's fantastic to see how much progress has been made, although there's still a lot you know, of yeah. work to do in order to reach gender parity, as we all know, and especially in most senior role. One piece of advice is, you know, if uh, a woman really wants to have a family, I think today, now more so than ever, you, know, you should feel totally supported uh, in doing so. And from many perspectives, you know, that being said, you'll still have level of responsibility in making it work. So I, I tell any woman, you know, you should surround yourself with great mentors, sponsor, uh, to openly discuss what your life aspirations are. Uh, and whether it is, you know, having children or other goals that you might have in mind and really sort of create that community around you of people who will provide you with some advice, support you and make sure that you can, in fact, uh, sort of achieve your life goals. Definitely. It's amazing how now women don't really have to choose between having a career or having a family, or at least most women, uh, which is proof of the advancements and progress that we've made so far. Um, although we do acknowledge that there is a lot yet to be done, um, but still something to be happy about. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, on the topic of leadership, and you proved to be a leader in various ways through your career, how do you define leadership and what are the variables that make a great leader? Well, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I think the best leaders in my view uh, would be those who are clearly what we would define as a servant leader. So, you know, what is a servant leader? Mm-hmm. A servant leader you know, would have a certain degree of power because they're in the leadership position, but they always put the needs of the people, the employee uh, first, you know, ahead of themselves. And they help people develop and perform as highly as possible. So servant leaders, they, they sort of invert the norm from what we would see and, and describe as a hierarchy, uh, which they put customer service associate, they put employees, they, uh, anybody in the organization as a main pro, you know, priority. So instead of the people working to serve the leaders, the other way around, so the leader exists to serve leaders, uh, to, mm-hmm. to serve the people. And I think that's like sort of the, the most in, The best leaders, in my view, are all servant leaders. And I think that also go hand in hand with like leading by example, like in a way like you're showing the other person how they should be leading at their level as well. Absolutely. Yeah, would agree with that. 
So this question is always asked and debated, but for you, do you think that leaders are naturally born or made? Well, maybe it's a combination of both, uh, but I believe that the best leaders are made, you know, through life experiences. Mm-hmm. So, and, and what I mean by that is on one hand, it comes from the values uh, that people do embrace and, and how they lead their lives. And great leaders you know, deeply care for others amongst a few things. Uh, other life experiences might come from challenges that a person faces in their life. And then, you know, out of that might become some resolve to solve a problem for the greater good. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of it might come through formal training. Uh, and, you know, similar to what uh, I experienced in the Kenyan Armed Forces or, you know, also with the organizations that I worked through in my career. So, I mean, the bottom line, I think it's a little bit of a combination of both and life experiences have a, a big role to actually like play in uh, how leaders are made. Yeah, that's certainly true. Um, and if you look at your career, what would you say was a defining moment for you? Well, it was 2010. I'm now a business owner mother of four children, working in a global role with my firm, a landlord. So life is pretty crazy. One of my sponsors suggested that I should probably simplify my life, but it might mean that I would have to take some key decision. One of his suggestions was to approve my family and move to Toronto and double down on my consulting career. Uh, I did not have many role models in terms of, you know, partner, woman partner with four kids, but it convinced me that I had to become a senior partner, you know, for myself and to inspire others. So I did the move and I'm here today in a very impactful position as a partner leader at a top strategy firm. But looking back, you know, what I asked my family to do was a very tall ask. It would mean for them to be uprooted from a very comfortable lifestyle in Ottawa. They would have to leave their friends and have to take a leap of faith in terms of it all turning out well for me, but also for them. I have to say I'm eternally grateful for their support. Sometimes in life, you have to make gutsy moves, but when doing so, having a network of people to help you make those decisions is key. And most importantly, having the support of your family, husband, kids is crucial. Toronto has been great for us. I live in the Toronto beaches and our kids are all avid sailors and really enjoy living by the lake. Uh, My husband redefined his career as a professional sports photographer and uh, it's been really amazing. Uh, To this day, you know, I thank everyone with my family first for supporting me in this move. It was a huge stepping stone in my career and I couldn't have done it without their support. I love how you can trace it back to like a specific moment in time, because I know for a lot of people, they say like it's um, a combination of moments or of experiences. But for you, it's well defining to like a specific year that you can go back and look at. Absolutely. So um, I've read before uh, that women are five times more likely to have to prove their competency in the workforce. Why do you think is that? Well, there are a few factors, but I'll you know, maybe highlight a a couple of them, you know, first of all, from a sponsorship perspective, women uh, through our studies, uh, it's been proven that they have fewer sponsors than men, and especially at senior level. Mm -hmm. So our McKinsey research also shows that men and women are likely to have a same gender sponsor. So the latest study indicate that 56% of the women sponsors uh, are women. And 67 of men's sponsors are men. Oh, wow. So okay. then if you look at that, you say, well, the 
you know, scarcity of women in senior role makes it pretty difficult for women to find a sponsor to help them move up the rank if, in fact, there's so, so few women at the top. Yeah. And sponsors do play a critical role in advocating for the advancement of people and to promote their competency. Uh, so obviously, you know, there's a direct relationship between correlation between, you know, maybe not having a sponsor and then then not necessarily receive that degree of advocacy. Um, the other thing, too, is that the women are more likely to be uh, what we call the only, you know, especially and the only in the room and, and many situations where they look around and, yeah, they, they're, you know, there's, uh, they're the only person in the room of their own gender and especially um, as they move up in seniority. So there's certain aspects of their leadership style, which might be unique and would be looked at as sort of different, might be questioned, and mainly actually questioned by unconscious bias most time. But, you know, it's an unfortunate uh, thing, but that's still very dominant. Therefore, there's a lot of explaining that have to be done in terms of having people really understand that you are, in fact, competent, even though you're uh, really exerting like a different leadership style, for example. I think that's a, a very important point to keep in mind and be aware of as students or new graduates are navigating either consulting or like their careers as well. And on the topic of gender, uh, do you believe that gender determines or influences a person's leadership style? Um, yeah, I want to be careful to not totally generalize, mm -hmm. but I think there's definitely traits related to each specific gender which are more dominant. Uh, it doesn't mean that because you're a woman, you have all these traits. And you know, it's mutually exclusive to the traits that are considered to be more uh, male. But as I would just generally, I know we do observe that there are slightly different traits. So, for example, like women in general would be more maybe nurturing or empathetic. And those two things are, you know, a key asset to have if you're in a leadership position. Mm -hmm. So I would encourage you to read our um, various uh, gender diversity report because McKinsey has done a lot of uh, research on that topic. Uh, if you want like a deeper dive into exactly the traits and uh, you know what our research yeah. indicates in terms of like what those are, but it, it is proven it, it, it's important that women embrace their own leadership style and their traits as opposed to trying to act like men just to fit in because it is proven that organization with a higher level of you know, diversity, gender diversity specifically, especially at the executive level, will outperform other organizations that have perhaps a lesser diversity representation at, at the top. Mm -hmm. That's very insightful. In our last meeting, actually, Anisha shared with us one of the McKinsey reports about women in leadership and in the workplace. And I thought that was a very interesting read. Yeah, COVID has actually been detrimental for women in the workplace due to layoffs and it's caused disparity. Very sad to see. Yeah, it is very sad to see. Personally, really, I'm looking uh, forward to be sort of like at the end of the road on this uh, major pandemic as everyone is forced. Yeah, oh, for sure. Everyone is waiting for the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Everyone's hoping it's going to be here very soon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But what are challenges that women in leadership face in the workplace, especially during COVID-19? Uh, yep. The events of 2020, COVID-19 have, uh, I would say, turned workplaces upside down. 
right? So, you know, because of the very highly challenging circumstances, and there's many employees that are struggling to do their job. So many, many of us, and not, you know, specific to women, but feel that they're always on, um, that the boundaries between work and home are completely blurred. Most men and women are worried about their family's health, finances. So burnout is a real, real issue. But when it comes to women, what we've observed is, uh, and our research shows that working mothers have always worked a double shift. And what that means is that they do a full day of work and it fo- you know, it's followed by hours of spending uh, caring for children, doing household labor. Uh, and, uh, you know, our research shows that, you know, even in dual income families, women will actually share a bigger load. So now the support that made this possible, so school, childcare, now um, have been fairly highly disrupted because of, of the pandemic. So as a result of all these dynamics, uh, our research shows that more than one in four women currently are contemplating uh, what would, you know, I've considered unthinkable just six months ago. So they're considering one downshifting their careers, leaving the workforce completely. Yeah. So this yeah. is this is really like an emergency situation because and actually a great uh, uh, proportion of those women really considering those changes would be in senior leadership. So what that means is that if we can't sort of reverse the trend, we could, you know, really uh, unwinding years of painstaking progress on gender diversity would be kind of undone. And uh, that would be quite dramatic for corporate America in general. Absolutely, especially (laughs) given the amount of work that everyone put in to reach this point and just having it reversed back like six years, like it was six years ago or even um, 10 years ago, that that would be like very sad to to watch or have. Um, So as we discussed, the pandemic is definitely a health and financial crisis that has turned people's lives and workplaces upside down. How do you think companies can step up and address burnout, financial anxiety for their employees? Yeah, there are many uh, things that can be done, and I'll just mention a few. But of course, uh, looking at uh, offering either childcare or homeschooling resources or program or even services in some instances is definitely like uh, something that families do appreciate. And a few organizations have done, in fact. There's another point that's interesting is changing the performance review process um, mm-hmm. because people like expectation in terms of productivity right now. I mean, they should be different and they're kind of undefined, you know, during this crisis. Therefore, going through a review process uh, just really kind of like aggravates anxiety that could be uh, really created out of you know the, this performance um, review process. Um, we see a lot of companies offering a wide range of mental health support. So whether it's uh, counseling, uh, enrichment programs, uh, but also bereavement uh, counseling, uh, as many of us are, um, you know, have experienced losing people around us that are uh, dear to our heart. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I mentioned earlier, financial anxiety is a big thing. And so a lot of companies have offered you know, short, short-term loan uh, grants, and uh, but also, you know, I think organizations have a role in just being transparent about the financial stability of their business. And you know, where numerous companies and organizations have been like really highly disrupted, 
you know, one of the things is uh, to take the lead in upskilling, retraining, and looking at sort of helping people with job, you know, displacement, if you want to put it like that. So, but overall, from a leadership uh, perspective, organizations are doing great uh, during the pandemic, you know, really um, are communicate regularly, effectively, with humility, with transparency. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they build, they have built a culture of also recognition and, and overall support for for their people. Yeah, it's really great to see that companies are really help, stepping up to help their employees in this way and supporting them through tough times. Where do you think we stand in closing the gender gap in Canada? Well, uh, the commitment uh, to gender equality among Canadian organizations, I would say, is very strong. Uh, in fact, our most recent research shows that 80% of Canadian organizations consider gender diversity as a top or a very important priority for their organization. And half of the Canadian organizations have articulated a business case for gender diversity. And that's kind of exceptional because it represents a threefold increase since we did the research in 2017. So it's quite a bit of progress in a short time. However, what a leaky talent pipeline for women still exists. And what this means is, you know, there's equal gender representation at the entry level for most organizations or, like, or overall, but you know, the finger, the figure like really dwindles to about 30% at the VP level. And then we go down to 14% in terms of women representation at the CEO level. And you know, these findings is part of our last uh, present um, and uh, future of uh, work for uh, women in Canada, where we surveyed most you know, more than 100 Canadian organizations, and, and those organizations would represent more than half a million employees in Canada, so it's uh, fairly representative. You know, Canada does rank, though, in the top 10 of 95 countries on gender parity, mm-hmm. and, you know, ahead of the U.S., which is actually really, really good. Yeah. So Canada is doing well, but what we've observed through our research is that the progress has stalled over the last 20 years. So if we continue to move at the rate that we're moving, I could take about, you know, anywhere between three decades or two centuries to actually close that gap. So we still have a lot of work to do and we need to kind of get back onto a trajectory where we accelerate um, the progress to be made towards gender parity. These are definitely some interesting numbers and stats that I was not aware of. So thank you so much for sharing them with us. And I know that COVID-19 is definitely not helping the situation at all. But um, moving on, Genevieve, I know that you were recognized for your philanthropy work. Uh, you received the Telfer School of Management Fellows Award and the Veterans Affair Ministerial Medal for Distinctive Contribution to Society. Um, I'm just curious to know what does philanthropy mean to you and what does inspire you to continuously give back? Oh, for sure. Um, well, first and foremost, I, know I would consider myself as being very privileged. Life has been good for me, and uh, I've been blessed with so many things, including a wonderful family, and I don't have to worry about you know many things in my life uh, in terms of like some of the basic needs of the Maslow hierarchy. Uh, so as a result of that, like I think you know I have always felt that I have a duty to give back and to help others which might not be as fortunate, and uh, so I do that in all sorts of different uh, ways. 
you know, either it's through volunteering my time or my expertise or even, you know, engaging my firm in doing so at a, on a broader scale. But, you know, people think that uh, volunteering is sort of, you know, requires a lot of effort and it's just kind of an investment you need to make. And the reality is that for me, in all of the work that I've done, I've always felt that actually like benefited more than I actually gave. So it's like volunteering is not a chore. In fact, for me, it's a source of replenishment. And so, I mean, you know, the, the other thing is I, I gained a fairly good understanding of sacrifices that a lot of people make, you know, for us to be safe, to be healthy. Uh, and I have a lot of compassion for those people. Uh, and, and I think that sort of came from the time that I spent in the military. So mm -hmm. when I look at our serving members, when a lot of them are still uh, really close friends of mine, I mean, their lives look very, very different than mine. And but it is because of what they do that I can actually like in my me and my family can be very safe. So I think, you know, there's a duty to, to give back and especially as it relates to, again, supporting whether they're the frontline health workers right now or just unbelievably going beyond the call of duty or policemen or firemen or, or serving you know members you know i um i feel for me like there's no choice but to do whenever i have the opportunity and if i can contribute in some way do my part and mm -hmm. support them that's such an amazing way to look at things honestly well and then i mean you know i just for anybody who's listening to uh, this podcast, to all of those uh, of you that are serving right now, I'll just say like, thank you for your service. Definitely recognizing people's efforts and thanking them for it is the least that we can do, especially right now, uh, frontline health workers are going above and beyond for all of us. So as you said, thank you for your service. So we only have uh, almost one question and uh, uh, if you could turn back, uh, if you could turn back and talk to your younger self, what would you change, and what what advice would you give to yourself? Well, I'm not the type of person who worries a lot. That being said, any worrying is not productive. So I would just like make sure that I don't worry at all <laughs> for things that I are outside of my control. But it's interesting uh, that you asked me this question because over the holidays, I read a really interesting book called The Top Five Regrets of Dying People. And uh, the uh, author, Ronnie Ware, uh, was a palliative uh, health worker and decided to write that book. And it's kind of a compilation of what she heard uh, as you know she was accompanying people, uh, I guess, in, in their last few days. I don't want to be, you know, stealing the thunder on, you know, what are the top five regrets? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so I encourage you to read the book, you know, but there's a, a few things that, you know, resonated with me. And if I was just to kind of, you know, pick one, it would be to just keep things simple. And uh, and that means just um, living every day like it is your last one, not get. Uh, too full of yourself, maybe worry, don't worry so much about materialistic things and um, you know, keep things simple. Thank you for sharing the book. We actually have a book club uh, at Women, so this is definitely going to go on the list. So yeah, 
I'm excited to read it next. Great. So now we're going to move to the last section of our episode, which is the rapid three, two, one. Uh, we have three questions. Uh, the first question will have a three-word answer. The second question will have a two-word answer. And the last question will have a one-word answer. So for the first question, what are the three values that got you where you are today? If you have to pick three, what would they be? Loyalty, courage, and humility. It's always interesting to hear people's answers on this section. It's my favorite part. <laughs> <laughs> and for the second question, uh, what are the two things that make you feel motivated or inspired? So let's say if things are not going the way you want them to be, what keeps you grounded and um, motivated? Well, definitely my kids <laughs> and yeah. you know, my family in uh, general and my community. Okay, people. perfect. That's more than two words, but you know, I, <laughs> it counts. I have to be all inclusive. <laughs> it counts. <laughs> we'll make an exception. And uh, for the last question, what is one skill that you think is important in all aspects of life? Hmm. Um, I'm only allowed to give you one word, right? Yes. If you have to pick one, top one, what would it be? <laughs> <laughs> um resilience we all face challenges in life but resilience is key in effectively overcoming anything perfect well thank you so much that concludes our episode for today uh it was very lovely having you and thank you for all the insights that you shared with us and just for being with us thank you so thank much. you very much for your time good luck with everything <laughs>